Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous several programs, I taught through Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. And the main theme of the teaching that I presented in the previous programs was the theme of how do we truly live? Do we live according to our flesh or do we live according to the Spirit? And I didn't give a lot of details concerning how we live according to the Spirit because I have done a number of other programs that address that subject, but instead I decided to approach the question or the subject in a different way by explaining how many people do live in their flesh, how they try to live their lives. And then I explained that the objective of our God, in my opinion, is to grow us and mature us to such an extent where we can become participants in his creation that he is continually involved in, actively involved in, in this world, the new creation in Christ Jesus, the continual creation of new plants and animals, and the things of life through our ingenuity, through our creativity, that we can be participants in the world that God has created. And so that was what I chose to emphasize when presenting the previous few programs. You know, when it comes to the subject of how do we live, there truly are only two options. The first option is to live on the basis of what is good and evil, on the basis of what is right and wrong. And the other option is living being guided and directed by the Holy Spirit of God. Those are the only two ways to truly live. The Galatians were struggling with the question of how do we live when people are coming to us telling us that we are sinning because we are not obeying the law of Moses. We are not living according to the law of Moses. And so if that's the case, then we had better do something about it. We had better change our lives in some way so that we will live According to the law, that is what the Galatians were dealing with. And Paul explained to them that this life is useless. The life is a life based on overcoming sin. And I have done a complete series on the subject of overcoming sin, where I explained a number of different strategies and techniques that people attempt to employ in their lives in order to overcome the sin in their lives. And I explained the failure of each and every one of these techniques and strategies and approaches and philosophies that people live by in order to try to fulfill what they believe, what God has commanded them to do. Again, the name of that series is Overcoming Sin. You can hear it for free through my website archive. Definitely take the time to listen to that series of programs. I deal with this subject in depth in those programs. This is one way that people try to live, though, and so what they do is is they live on this scale, and I described this in the previous programs, they live on this scale between the indulgence of the flesh and the restraint of the flesh. 
And I explained in the previous program that the life in Christ Jesus is not on that scale. It's on a completely different scale. I do understand that we grow in our faith, we mature in our faith, he changes us over time. I understand that. I've experienced that personally. And while I am limited in being able to describe the transformation that he will do within an individual, I am limited. I cannot give you all the details concerning how he will transform people. I can give you some reasonable descriptions From my point of view, how I personally see it, I can talk about it in terms of a scale. I can talk about it in terms of a collection of scales. For example, there is a scale that exists between being alive to the flesh and being dead in Christ. When we grow and mature in our relationship with our God, we can discover more and more what it means to be dead in Christ. I certainly did not understand what that meant when I first got saved or even for several years afterwards. What does it really mean to be dead in Christ? I believe that this is a lifelong growth experience to understand the implications and the meaning behind being dead in Christ. And there is a struggle that exists between the flesh and the spirit, between a person being alive to the flesh and being dead in Christ. Another scale can be described in terms of the difference between being dead in Christ and being alive in Christ. You know, it's one thing to be dead in Christ in the sense that you are dead to your flesh instead of being alive to your flesh. You are dead to your flesh. You are dead to the world. You no longer live your life on the basis of what is good and evil. I get into this subject in depth in the series that I produced titled Spiritual Warfare, where I explain this struggle between law and grace, between the flesh and the spirit, of going from a life of being alive to your flesh to being dead in Christ. But then after that, we don't just stop there and just rest in being dead in Christ, but we are resurrected in Christ. And there's another scale that exists that can be defined as we discover what it means to now be alive in Christ, to go from being dead to being alive. And what does it mean to really live now? And in the previous programs, I explained that we can become active participants in the continual creative acts of God. You know, the scale between being alive to the flesh and being dead in Christ is well described as the experience of resting in Christ, of resting in his forgiveness, of being at peace. I talk about this a lot in many of my other programs. I talk about this as if it is a goal. It is a goal. It is not the only goal, and it's certainly not the last goal. There is more. There is always more, it seems, with our God. He is truly infinite. So in the previous programs, I talked about what it means to go from being dead in Christ to being alive in Christ, and I explained this in the context of being a participant in the creative capacity of God, and that our lives become a life of living our lives, enjoying our lives, using the resources in this world, and using the resources that we have received in our inheritance in Christ Jesus. And of course, I've done a number of programs that talk about this subject in depth, the subject of forgiveness, the programs I did on forgiveness, the first one all the way to the last one. The last one is where I emphasized the value of forgiveness as we can then forgive others. 
That, in my opinion, takes you all the way from the womb to the tomb when it comes to the subject of forgiveness. When you forgive others with the forgiveness that you have received from your God, you are making use of the forgiveness that he gave. You are using that in your life. Your life is a life of living with this forgiveness in such a way that you deploy, utilize, make use of the forgiveness that you have as you forgive others with what you have been given. And in that way, you are living your life in a completely different way, not according to the law, but according to the spirit. The programs that I did on the will of God and our identity in Christ, I talk about our inheritance that we have received, not just forgiveness, but all the things that we need for life and godliness. And I mention a number of things that we have received and how we can make use of those things as resources to live our lives in a way that we could never, ever live under the law. Totally impossible. And so this is what I've talked about in previous programs. I just wanted to mention these things once again before I proceed into Galatians chapter 3. Now, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, as I move into Galatians chapter 3, it says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Now, I explained in the previous program that there are many things that people do that demonstrate that Christ died for nothing to them. I've mentioned that a lot, but what I'd like to focus on right now is the word righteousness. He uses this word righteousness, and unfortunately to many people, this is a word that doesn't have much meaning to them. And I can understand why, because this is not a very common word that we use. And so, let me try to make this simple. When somebody approaches me and they explain to me, Aaron, now, you need to understand that we are supposed to live a life obeying our God, living a life of restraining our flesh, and doing all of the holy things that our God told us to do, maybe not just in the law, but also in our spirit, but definitely those things that are in the law, this is how we are to live. Well, I can give a number of responses to this. One of my favorite responses is to ask the question, what do you hope to gain from your obedience to the law of God? Or obedience to God at all? What do you hope to gain? Is there something that you think you're going to get for this? I mean, obviously there must be something that you expect to get for this. If you're trying to convince me to live a sinless life in my flesh, if that's how you think I should live, then... Is there any incentive for this? I mean, is there any reason for this? I mean, should I at least be concerned about the beatings or the blessings? I mean, something. Give me an explanation as to why I should try to live this way, especially when you and I both know full well that neither one of us are going to be able to do it. And so if we're going to devote ourselves to a life of total vanity because we're just going to be pretending to be somebody that we're not, that's the best we can possibly hope for, If we're going to do that, if that's how we're going to spend our life, how we're going to spend our time, then give me some incentive. Give me some reason, some reason as to why we should do that. Well, one of the reasons is because we will be righteous. Understand the significance of that kind of an answer. You see, when you suggest that this is something we should do, then it also means by default that if we do not, do that, then we are unrighteous. We are an unrighteous person. We are not right with God. 
But if we will do this, even if we can't, at least we give it our best effort, then we will be right with God. And that's the point. That's what this word means. It means, are you going to be right with God because of what you do, or are you going to be right with God because of what he did? Again, in verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Now, in the context of Christ dying in vain, why would Christ have to die if we have the law? I mean, if we have the law, we can just obey the law. And you might think, well, well, we can't. We can't obey the law. We can only do the best we can. Okay, well then why would he have to come to die when we can just do the best we can? What's the point? And people will then say, quite often in response, I've had a lot of conversations like this, people will then say, well, we need him to die in order to die for those sins that we did commit because we did manage to overcome a lot of the sins in our lives. There there are some sins that we could not overcome and so Christ died for those sins. And that is a total lie. It is a total, complete deception. I explained in the previous program. I also explained this in another program titled The Scale Between Law and Grace. That when a person first starts out in their Christian life, you know they need a lot of grace. They're not very good at being obedient to God. But then as you mature, you get a little bit better at being obedient to God, and so you don't need so much grace. You know, you might start out needing maybe 50% Jesus because you got 50% of your flesh under control. But then when you get about 75% of your flesh under control through your growth and maturity and your practice of whatever you decide to do in order to control your flesh, you only need about 25% Jesus. And then when you make it to being maybe 80% or 85%, maybe even 90% obedient to God, You might be pastoral material. You might be ministerial material. We could at least get you a job as a member of the staff in the church because you only need about 10, maybe 15% Jesus, right? You see where this is going? Your goal is to not need Jesus when that's the case. Now, I'm certainly not encouraging you to go in the other direction either to suggest that then you need 95% sin in your life and so that you can have 90% grace. This is the way that people think, though. But this is not the case. When Jesus died for the sins of the world, he died for the sins of the world. That's the point. It wasn't just those sins that we think we have in our life. It's for all sin. One time, once and for all, he dealt with it. And he had to deal with it because that's how serious sin is. But if you think that we are to live according to the law, then that means the law is alive. The law is here. And your flesh is alive because the law, of course, defines what your flesh is or is not doing. And in that case, Christ died for nothing because you still have the law. No, he died so that he could fulfill the demand of the law, which was your execution. He died on your behalf. Now that he has done that, it's over. It's completely over. It's finished. And if you don't see that, then you are a candidate for Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, where he said, O oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Not obey the law, but obey the truth. 
And there's, of course, a lot to be said about that. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? That is the real issue. But let's look at verse 1 a little bit more closely here. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Who are those who are not obeying the truth? Those are the people who are still living according to the law. They are still living according to repentance and obedience. They are still living according to the knowledge of good and evil. They are still living according to what is right and wrong, according to the law of God or part of it, regardless of what it is. If that's what you continue to do, according to Galatians chapter three, verse one, you're foolish. Or if we were to use another word, we could say you're a fool. You're an absolute fool because you do not believe in what Jesus has done for you. And even though it was put right in front of you, He was clearly portrayed to you as crucified. You're a fool because you won't see it. You won't believe it. You refuse to believe the truth that the entire sin issue between humanity and God is finished. You won't believe it. And this is a clear indication to show just how foolish you are by saying anything that indicates that the sin issue is still an issue. That sin is still a problem. It's still alive. Now listen, folks, I understand the struggle of sin in the flesh. I understand that. And I'm not suggesting that there's going to come a point before your physical death that you will be set free of all the sin in your flesh. That's not what I'm saying. Listen to the programs I did on the subject of overcoming sin. I explain that clearly. My point, though, is that according to Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, if you see Jesus as crucified, you should see that the old way of life, to live according to good and evil, the law, all that stuff, is over, is completely over. And in verse 2, the Apostle Paul explains why. Why it would be necessary for the sin issue to be over. The reason why you have to be completely forgiven of all of your sins is because there is no way you can possibly receive the Holy Spirit within you to dwell within you. There's no way that you can be resurrected from the dead through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit without the sin issue being completely resolved. You can't do it. There's no way for that to be accomplished. You must be resurrected from the dead. And the only way you can stay resurrected from the dead is if the sin issue comes to an end. And so this is where people are foolish. The reason why people are foolish is because they don't know the nature of the problem. They don't know the nature of the issue. They think that the issue has something to do with the knowledge of good and evil in order to get the flesh under control, that it has something to do with getting people to be obedient to God, that that's what this is about. But that's not what this is about. It's about something bigger. The Christian life is not about how do we get people's flesh under control. It's about solving the problem of restoring to humanity 
the spirit of life that was lost in Adam because of the lie that we can live according to the knowledge of good and evil. That's the real issue. Is the issue, how do we get people to live according to the knowledge of good and evil? Or is the issue, how do we restore the Holy Spirit that was lost in Adam? That is why people are fools. Why they're foolish. Because they don't know the nature of the problem. They're trying to solve a problem that is unsolvable. That God is not going to solve. They're trying to become perfect in their flesh. And he says, no, we're going to have to kill it. We need to kill the flesh. And we're going to do that through resurrecting the people who recognize the truth that they have no hope outside of his grace and mercy. Those are the only ones who are not fools, who are not foolish. The ones who are not foolish are the ones who recognize the nature of the problem, the nature of the solution, and that is what they rest in, and that is what they begin to live their new life on the basis of. In verse 2, again, it says, This only I want to learn from you. This only, by saying this only, that means that regardless of everything else, everything else that he said before, and perhaps even everything that he might say afterwards, although there are a lot of important things that he says afterwards, he says, this only I want to know. I don't want to know what laws are still in effect today or what laws are not in effect today. I don't want to know what's right, what's wrong. I don't want to know what's good. I don't want to know what's evil. Don't give me that. Only one thing I want to know. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And that's a very simple question to answer because if you know the law, and I find it very unusual to find somebody who really knows the law, I know the law, and I'll tell you flat out, that there is nothing in the law that says anything about the restoration of the Spirit, about receiving the Spirit. There is nothing in the law about that because it wasn't given for that. The law was not given for salvation. It wasn't given to sustain salvation. It wasn't given for that reason. It was given for other reasons, and we should use it for the reasons that it was given for, but it definitely was not given for the purpose of saving anybody And it definitely was not given for the purpose of giving anybody any guidance in the new life that we now have in Christ Jesus according to the new covenant through the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Messiah. The law says nothing about the receiving of the Holy Spirit or living in the Holy Spirit. It says nothing about that because it wasn't given for that reason. So when he says... Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? In other words, you heard the offer of the free gift of the Holy Spirit. The free gift of the Spirit of life that has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with how well you've gotten your flesh under control. He's not interested in your flesh. He's interested in your heart. Your flesh will most likely be changed in some ways. I understand that. And if that doesn't happen, I would be concerned. I've talked about this in many of the other programs I've produced. If you've listened to me for a while, you should know full well that I do not endorse 
people committing sin. I don't believe in that. But that's not how I live. I don't live on the basis of whether there is or is not sin. I live on the basis of the restoration of the Holy Spirit and the dependency that we have on our God by hearing the truth and responding to that truth. That is our expression of faith. In verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? In other words, once you have begun in the Spirit, are you so foolish as to go back to something that is beyond useless, that is so empty and dead that there is nothing there at all for you? That is why a person is foolish, not because they would be depending on their works for their salvation, but they would be depending on their works for their own perfection, for the perfection of their faith, that they would go back to the law because they believe that the Christian life is now about living according to the law. That is what he's talking about when he says that people are Fools, absolute fools, because they step away from the grace of God and they begin to live according to the law of God instead of his grace. They put it aside and on that basis, Christ died for nothing. If you will just continue, if you will only continue in your life, with something as simple as forgiveness. He will do a work in your heart and He will show you, He will show you the forgiveness that He gives you and He will transform and change you just by that. And when you forgive others, you fulfill the law. You do. But not because you were properly informed. You fulfill the law because you no longer bear a grudge against your neighbor. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, in the law, do not bear a grudge against your neighbor. You'll fulfill the law. Your flesh will be perfected in that abstract sense. Sin can be reduced. That's true. But that is a side effect. It is not the goal. The goal is to know your God. The goal is to allow him to do a work within and through you, to show you a new way of life and to live trusting in what he has already done. And I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,